What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Are you troubled by pop culture references you don't understand? Does trying to figure out a good jumping on point in a long running comic series keep you up at night? Have you or your friends or family seen a comic book based movie, TV show, or cartoon and not known what was going on? If the answer is yes, then this is the podcast for you. My Big Fat Pull List. Our assembly of knowledgeable hosts are eager to help answer all your comic book based pop culture questions. We're ready to geek out with you. The future. Is it a destination? An ideology to strive towards? A conscious feeling of the passage of time? All of the above? The future is a great setting for storytelling. It doesn't matter if it's post-apocalyptic, beautiful utopia, or somewhere in between. When it comes to entertainment, predicting the future can be science fiction gold. And nobody painted a picture of the world of tomorrow like Marvel Comics. It's time to rocket back to the future by revisiting the 90s. Charge up your hover car, activate your holographic butler, and don't get busted by the public eye. My big fat pull list is taking you on a trip to the year 2099. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, geeks of all ages, to another episode of My Big Fat Pull List. I am one of your hosts, Mr. X. We have got a plethora of podcasters shoved into the studio tonight. Across the table from me is... Smurfy. Next to him... Dragonus Prime. At the end of the table... Pistol Danger. And sitting next to me... Dr. Impact. That's right. There are five of us... I don't think we have ever tried to have this many podcasters podcasting at once. So we'll see how I this think goes. The only we person that's yeah. that's missing that has been on the show ever is Monster Kid. Otherwise, Monster, we've got yes. pretty much the whole the whole crew. Here well, too. a reason why I wanted to have all of us involved in this episode is because the Marvel imprint twenty ninety nine is coming back in a big way, and I remember the beginnings of it. Some of us have experience with it from then. Some of us have experience with some of the revamps that have happened over the last 10, 15 years. And some of us don't know anything about it. And we're going to drop some knowledge on you about it. But first, what I want to do is I want to remind everybody that, oh, we have a Patreon page. Yes, that's right. We're going to beg for your support. Head on over to our Patreon page at patreon page forward slash my big fat podcast.com there'll be a link in the show notes to this episode on our website for you to have easy access we've got great tiers for some awesome incentives buttons magnets possibility for shirts content and if nothing else just exclusive. a really fun video to watch and a really fun yes yes we're we are entertaining in that video and you get the video for free though subscribe yeah. to get the shirts and the content yes. and the, yeah. the stickers the magnets the choosing of the topics there's so much you can do there head on over first encounters 
with twenty ninety nine. Now I wanted to take this opportunity before we dive in to the meat of our topic and actually get a gauge on everybody's exposure to the nineties twenty ninety nine stuff. So we'll start on my right, Doctor Impact. Your exposure level to twenty ninety nine. I basically got in on twenty ninety nine at the ground level, mm-hmm. essentially. Although it's not entirely fair that I I say that I was there at the beginning because I really didn't get myself into it. Dragonus Prime actually got me into it. So kind of his exposure to 2099 and mine is sort of intertwined in a sense. But interesting. I'll let him go into full detail about how we discovered 2099 and where that that book first came from. But by by the time X-Men 2099 had come out, I was really eyeing that book and I really wanted to get it. And I remember the guy who ran the comic shop that I went to it was a shop in St. Louis called Moe's Comics. Mhm. And the guy that ran the store, his name was Bruce, and he was like, oh, you got to get these new books. And I was like, well, yeah, they're cool, but I'm going to pass on them. Dad only gave me so much money, and I can only get so many things. So I didn't get them, but I I remember they were really cool, and I remember that Dragonus Prime and I both had, probably between the two of us, we had all the number ones of everything up till that point. The next thing I knew, my birthday came along, and my dad said, here, Bruce over at the shop put a birthday gift together for you. And I opened the box, and I and I don't remember up to what issue it went, but issues one through, gosh, I don't know, five, six, something like that, of X-Men 2099 were in this box. Whatever had come out by that point. Mm. And I knew about 2099, and I had seen plenty of the issues, and I was a big fan of Ravage, so I had gotten some of the early issues of Ravage. But X-Men 2099 is what solidified it. And then over the years, I collected the whole run. I ended up having, I think I sold the run or I lost them in a fire, one of the two. And then uh, with the help of, uh, of a one Mr. X, I uh-huh. ended up over the last 10 years recollecting the entire run. I have the whole run again. So that's, that's my story. And I'm going to stick to it, I guess. Pistol, what about you? I actually came a year late in. Because as we're going to talk about, there was actually a first chunk that came out in 1992, and then the second half kind of came out in 1993. At the time, like yourself, I was not making a whole lot of money as a 10-year-old. Surprise, (laughs) right, guys? So I had enough allowance for two packs of cards and one comic. And at the time, I I don't remember what I was – it was something Spider-Man-y, but I would get the two packs of cards and Spider-Man. And uh, the guy was like, you know, I know you like Spider-Man. I know you like X-Men. Well – there's a new X-Men coming out. I'm like, oh, okay. Because he talked to me about Spider-Man. I'm like, yeah, I have my Spider-Man. I don't need another Spider-Man. Because right, right. at the time, there was no multiverse of Spider-Man. There was Spider-Man. And uh, he's like, yeah, there's all new X-Men. And like he showed me it, and it was X-Men 2099, and I got it. And at that point, I only got one pack of cards, the current book I was reading, and X-Men 2099. I had... All the way up until issue 29 or 30, I want to say. And then it just all vanished. I think I still have issue number one somewhere in the uh, the dredges of my basement. And I thought the rest of them looked cool. Doom 2099 looked like a cool character. Actually, I didn't think Hulk looked cool at all. I was definitely not on board with Hulk or Ravager. Uh, I, I was confused for a while because I thought he was like a berserk punisher. What? Well, like, for for a little while, but right? they changed him. I, I assume yes. you know we'll get into all that 
later so, on, but yeah. Yeah, that was mine. I didn't come back for the relaunch in 2005, 2006, was it? Because at that point- Well, was, there were many different yeah. types okay, of relaunches. Yeah. But wasn't that the bigger of the, like- uh, 2009 was probably the biggest push. Was it? Okay. Uh, I didn't come back for that because I was kind of out of comics. Like, there was a time where I was, like, in and out of comics. I was just watching comic movies or TV shows or whatever. I was just there at the beginning for the X-Men, really. I liked Metalhead and I liked Skullfire. I actually mm-hmm. bought their action figures. Yep. I had those too. Yeah. yeah. I had the Skullfire anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the bracelets which you could take which off. You could take yeah. off and on. Yeah, it was cool. in the dark. It was yeah. neat, yeah. DP? Dragonus. First of all, let, let, let's welcome Dragonus Prime to his first official regular episode of My Big Fat Pull List. All right, round of applause. Yeah, yeah. 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 Applause. That's a good applause. point. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Were in, you were in two of the episodes of the, uh, the podcast miniseries, mm-hmm. but this is your first... Appearance in the ongoing. Yeah. Missed from the kiddie pool and jumped thrown in the deep end. That's right. Yeah, hope you drown. <laughs> All right, DP, take it away, buddy. <laughs> to piggyback on to what uh, Dr. Impact was talking about, uh, he, he and I actually went to the same comic shop because right. we were raised by the same dude. Wait, are you guys related? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, dad would get us a book because... He would want. He wanted to indoctrinate his children into comic books, as right. any good comic book parent does. Damn straight. Bruce showed us all the comic books, the twenty ninety nine stuff, and boy, let me tell you that red chrome border oh. with the twenty ninety nine skull spidered costume of him jumping off the page and breaking the red border. Yeah, I, I was hooked. He he had his little finger talon stuck in me. <laughs> Needless to say, I grabbed that up right away, and incidentally, that book became the first ever, as I mentioned in a previous show, pull list comic I have ever had. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I do remember you saying that, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I I never bought the other ones. Uh, actually, Dr. Impact ended up buying the other ones, but since we lived near each other, <laughs> <laughs> they were read many times by myself. Right. Um, the other one that I really, really liked was Doom 2099. Mm. I always thought that was an interesting concept of the villain being thrown to the future and now he's a hero. You know, what uh, What I find very ironic about that, I, I want to say in that same trip when you got that Spider-Man 2099, number one, I want to say that was the same trip that we got Spawn, number one. I think we got him uh, roughly around the same day, if not the same weekend, somewhere around there. But I, I remember when you got that thinking, why in the world do you want to read that? That looks ridiculous. And I... I think I probably I probably made fun of you. I, you did. I always made fun of you. Yeah, and I, I remember just thinking, "Oh my god, this is ridiculous." And then you were like, "Oh, this is so cool." And so I I think I read it with you or I looked at, looked at it with you and yeah, I was like, "Holy crap, this is amazing." Yeah, and then a few years I think a few months to a year or so later, I ended up selling it to you because I didn't want it. And you I think I sold it to you for like 5 bucks. Oh, that's right. I do remember <laughs> yeah, that. Now I, you sold it to me for 5 bucks and then I ended up Losing that copy because the copy I have is not the one that I, yeah. I had before. So yeah, that copy's yeah. long in the. I room. made a bad uh, investment on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's my history though with twenty ninety nine. And then of course the uh, Marvel Knights reboot. I took a look at the Daredevil stuff because being the Daredevil fan that I am. Right. Uh, the, the other guys, Ghost Rider didn't really entice me. The twenty ninety nine Ghost Rider at the in the nineties didn't entice me. Hulk, as Pistol pointed out, was odd. <laughs> Uh, the best way to explain it is he's just odd looking. Punisher, I wasn't a, as big of a Punisher fan then as I am now. Right. 
But yeah, it was mainly the Spider-Man. And ever since, and anytime spider I even collected Exiles, just the issues that Spider-Man 2099 was in. Nice. And then when he came back after Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. and they relaunched his series again, I bought those, because 20, Miguel is my hero. Well, speaking of people who are into Punisher, Smurfy? My story is a little bit sadder. I didn't get introduced to Cue the anything violins. Marvel 2099 until about 2002. Because you figure at the time, I was the only one in the family who read comics. Uh, the only exposure to comics when I was a kid was through the grocery stores. Grocery stores really didn't carry a whole bunch of Marvel 2099. It wasn't until I started working at the shop where I was like, hey, what's this? Like, I remember reading it. I was a little confused because I didn't understand who these guys were. Like, it wasn't until, like, now where I'm more passionate about it. Mm. So, right. So, uh, I just knew the Punisher wasn't the Punisher I knew, uh, that he was more enhanced. And I was kind of confused by it. So, because, again, being about 10 years old, uh, none of it really made a whole lot of sense. So, yeah. But now, confuse easily, always. <laughs> well, I'm I'm actually looking forward to dropping a little bit of knowledge on at least the majority of the people in the studio tonight about the original 2099 because for me, my exposure, oh, those were the days to be a kid again, huh? To yes, if I, if only. For me, three things are responsible for getting me into comic books and storytelling and entertainment and things like that. The first thing was the Ninja Turtles. The next thing was 90s, early 90s X-Men. The third thing, Marvel 2099. And I think it had everything to do with the fact that there was no connectivity. I was just going to say that. I, one of the things that appealed to us when we were younger was that we didn't need to know 30, 40 years of history. It was a fresh start. It was yeah, its own... Total fresh start. ...self-contained universe. And the simple fact that it's in the future. I mean, I loved future stuff. The fact that we're taking all of these characters, well, the names of these characters that you know, but we're adding 2099. We're adding over 100 years, 100 years into the future. And I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I, too, started with X-Men 2099, but... Very early on, you realize this is a bigger universe, and you kind well you didn't you didn't have to read everything, but even even then, even in my early teens, I had a bit of a obsessive compulsive disorder. I had to have them all, and I tracked down every single issue. At the time, I was I was collecting these. I had left St. Louis, moved away to a smaller town, and my mother would travel back and forth uh, about once a month, and I would send her a list of comics mostly the 2099 stuff uh, for her to pick up for me so that I could I could stay caught up because yes I was getting the majority of my comic books from grocery stores and they didn't always have 2099 issues hmm. I was obsessed I mean that was the, I think that was really my first real obsession was getting all of those books continuing to get get all those books and then put putting those books into a comprehensive reading order it's a pretty awesome reading order. It is. It is. And we will make sure that we put that on our website and we'll have, of course, a link to our website on the, in the show notes for this episode. So it sounds to me like Dragonus Prime really is the first, the only one of us to be there at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't even, I mean, I picked up Ravage and I think later on tracked down Punisher and Doom before X-Men came out, but I don't even think I picked up Spider-Man. So I think Dragonus might be the, the only one of us that was there from the start. Good job, man. But that's where we ask you, what was your first exposure to the 2099 comic books? Let us know by heading over to our website at mybigfatpolis.com. 
fill out the contact form and let us know. The future is now. Now, the concept for 2099 actually started with Stan Lee. Uh, really, it was the last big idea that he had brought to the table for the company. It, it, it really was meant to be something a little bit more intimate. Uh, he and artist uh, John Byrne were working on an oversized, like, 80-page issue of Marvel Presents graphic novel, and it was going to be called Marvel World of Tomorrow. And it was going to focus on a cop named Ravage and his experience in the future of Marvel Comics. And unfortunately, and I could not find any information about why that project fizzled, but it did. It, it, it did not move forward. But newly hired editor Joey Cavallari loved the concept and loved it actually so much that he, he felt that a whole line of books could actually work. They decided to do a whole imprint. Marvel 2099, because in his mind, it was, hey, we get to start the Marvel Universe all over again, only 100 years into the future. And because plans for it were going to be to release it uh, in 1992, they were like, well, let's call it Marvel 2093, you know, so it could be about 100 years. And they tossed that around, but eventually they landed on 2099. And me personally, I like 2099 a hell of a lot better than 2093. Yeah. It's just got a ring to it. Yeah. I, I, I want to think it went like this, where Stan was like, John, I have an idea. Everything now, but in the future. Can we cut his mic? Why, why does Stan sound like a grizzled old Jewish man? Because that's from, the best like, Stan I can do, all right? Brooklyn you sound more like Jack Kirby. Right. To be yeah, fair. really, yeah. Stan was a grizzled old Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having my back, DP. Don't make me come down there, you punk. So it all starts with Ravage, essentially. It does all start with Ravage and Stan Lee. And that's why it failed. Hey. And then what they decided to do is instead of releasing everything all at once, stagger the books so that it could start building the landscape. And uh, funny enough, Ravage survives the original idea and gets his own title written by Stan Lee for like the first eight issues of the book. When the book was still good. Yep. Yeah, those those first eight issues are, are by far the best of that run. Ravage is the one the mo- I'm the most weakest on remembering. Um, was He's, he- you're not the only one. He's like the least lackluster character. Did they keep the, the cop aspect? No, actually. Uh, he's it, it, it went into more of a big wig That's framed, what I thought. Okay. And now I have to be rough and tumble on the streets kind of a thing. That's what I thought. But then you said he was a cop. And I was like, wait, was he a cop? Punisher 2099 was a cop who had enhanced armor and enhanced hand-to-hand combat and all that other stuff. That's where right. he kind of took that idea from the cop and went from Ravager to Punisher. So they just took Judge Dredd and were like, yeah, he's the Punisher now. Great. Uh, uh, funny enough, actually, the writers were able to get away with stuff in the Punisher 2099 book that they couldn't get away with in Judge Dredd. Punisher 2099 was a more violent book in the United States than what they were able to do with Judge Dredd in the UK. Really? The two, the early yeah. 2008 the early, stuff? Wow. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Learn something new every day. A new heroic age begins. In the future, there are no heroes. America 
along with the rest of the planet, is run by mega corporations like Alchemex, Demonix, the Greater Nevada Syndicate, Stark Fujikawa, Synthiatech, the Theater of Pain, just to name a few. The police force has been privatized. The poor live in slums, and the rich get away with murder. Literally. Not even the loyal followers of the Church of Thor are spared hardship and suffering. But there is hope. A new age of heroes is about to rise. They are dark, gritty, and sometimes brutal. But they will make sure that 2099 is a year you won't be able to forget. So there's a little bit of a setup for what the future was like in Marvel 2099. You had hover cars, which is great because, you know, I know we're all still waiting for our flying cars. Or tube technology. They were shocking awesome. That's right. That's right. They, That's had, right. they had their own slang. You had holographic butlers, personal mm-hmm. assistants, things like that. Elijah. And they were obsessed with 20th century nostalgia. So people who could afford it would have old movie posters from things that we were like, oh, okay, well, that cost me 10 bucks to have on my wall. And they're, they're, they're priceless pieces of art in the future. Like Sandra Bullock's apartment in Demolition Man. Yeah. Yes. Very <laughs> yes, very similar. That's what I was just thinking. Was Enhance like, your old, calm. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> and the way they set everything up is they keep, they keep it very vague. Stories from the 20th century about heroes are kind of more uh, tall tales and legends than actual proof. There's no real documentation anymore of the heroic age, as they call it. They know of Spider-Man. They know of the Fantastic Four. But there's no some sort of conflict took place in the late 20th century Mm -hmm. that ended the heroic age and... Society had been slowly trying to pull itself back up ever since. And now here we are, 2099. You've got the the, the majority of the books, at least Spider-Man, Ravage, and Punisher, they all take place in New York or Nueva York. And the high-rises are actually built on top of the old buildings because downtown is the slums, and it's it's the remnants of what was left over. So here's a question. How much of this do you think, if any, in my head, like, after reading Old Man Logan, this kind of makes, like, sense as to how it progresses to everybody starting to pull themselves together after all the superheroes and supervillains have died off mm-hmm. and, like, everything coming back. I wonder if they took any of that into consideration and if they tried to maybe correlate these in any way? I doubt it. You, but, you mean that that if somehow Old Man Logan takes place somewhere in between? Yes, like it's the event that causes, like not Old Man Logan itself, but like the war of heroes and villains is mm. what eventually causes the 2099. It's plausible after reading all the Old Man stuff. I well, mean, there's so many different alternate futures correct. running yes. around. Some, although now, currently, all of the newer 2099 stuff that is coming out, Marvel has said, this is the future. Now, of course, this version, the, the, the version from the 90s, has been n- nicely packed away into its own alternate reality designation. It's Earth 9-something or something or blah, Sigma blah, blah. Sigma squiggly. Right, exactly. Uh, the multiverse, either in Marvel or DC, is a headache to try to navigate. 
But so we're not wanna... really going to be doing that here. That's why we're going to mainly focus on the stuff from the 90s. Religion has also changed. Yes, you have Christians, but the biggest religion around is the Church of Thor. I mean, he's literally a god you can... That right. was there, so yeah. Right. Actually, the Asgardian pantheon, the people's belief in them, plays a big part in shaping the landscape of what 2099 is. I mean, I'll be honest. If Thor showed up one day, hammer and thunder and lightning and all, I'd probably change religions. Like, this is a gentleman I can literally see, possibly touch. He's God. And he'll Done. hit me with a hammer if I don't. Yeah. And, and now, now think of that. Now yes. put yourself in the future. Mm-hmm. Now... Imagine if that God told you, listen to what this corporation tells you to do. Sounds You're good absolutely me. going to do it. Absolutely. Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get us sued. <laughs> so, of course, the first book that came out, Spider-Man 2099, issue number one was released in November of 1992. It was written by Peter David, the great Peter David, and penciled by Rick Leonardi. And the book ran for 46 issues. That was the longest run of any of the books, wasn't it? Longest run on any of them. A little bit of background for those of you who are not in the know of Spider-Man 2099. Miguel O'Hara was a brilliant scientist assigned as head of the genetics program at Alchemex. His job was to create new company-controlled, super-powered soldiers called Corporate Raiders. Inspired by surviving records from the mythic Heroic Age, Concerning Spider-Man, Miguel hoped to one day create similarly powered people for Alchemex. Uh, After a human test subject died during an early experiment, Miguel basically tells his boss, Tyler Stone, to take a short walk off a long pier. Take a long walk off a short pier. You got it. That's right, yeah. Second time's a charm. And Miguel resigns from Alchemex. And takes all, and it's basically, I'm going to take all my research with me. You don't, you don't get this stuff. Well, unable to convince Miguel to stay with the company through promises of money or power, Tyler Stone tricks him into taking Rapture, an addictive drug that genetically bonds to the user, making them dependent on it for life. Not wishing to be a blackmailed addict, Miguel recalls that he entered his own genetic code into his machine's databanks at Alchemex during early experiments. So intending to use his original template to purge himself of the rapture, he sets it up to where everything should work automatically. But while he's in the machine, uh, a jealous subordinate sabotages it, causing the machine to switch over to the genetic code of a spider, pumping him with 50% spider DNA. Ooh. Miguel survives the process, but realizes he now has spider abilities. Hmm. So he works, he continues to work for Alchemex as Miguel O'Hare to try to bring the company down, and then secretly, out in the world, fights for truth, justice, and the Nuevo York way as Spider-Man 2099. It's almost like they're like, we're tired of doing the super soldier serum. Let's switch it up a little bit. Hmm. Same with Spider-Man. So basically, he went to his boss. Yeah. Told him to, to take a uh, I quit a short hike off an even shorter cliff. Okay. And then was like, ah, n- nah, nah, I'll stay. JK, guys. Well, the, the thing is, job though, is too shway to his, leave. His boss got him addicted, so he'd stick around. He now, wanted see, to quit. He's not addicted anymore because he has the spider powers. 
Oh, but he but, has to pretend? But he has to pretend that he's still addicted or else his boss and everybody else will know he did something genetically and then they put the pieces together and, oh, you're Spider-Man. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a good excuse. Like, I got to go shoot up. Web fluid. <laughs> and now this this Spider-Man mm-hmm. actually had very different what? powers than Peter Parker did. He actually had the organic webbing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. actually what Sam Raimi took from this book and put into his his version of the Spider-Man character. Miguel also had the ability to retract talons talons on both his his fingers and feet. He also had enhanced sight. So he was always wearing sunglasses, and all of his bosses thought, oh, it's because you're on the drug. But really, it's because our lights are bright, because he had enhanced sight, and he could see in the dark. Which is kind of similar to the MCU Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Another one of the cool things about the character is he actually had fangs Mm -hmm. that if he bit somebody, he could inject them with venom. And the venom would paralyze people. And his costume... Unstable molecules are all the rage in the future. Created by Dr. Reed Richards in the 20th century, unstable molecules are pretty much everywhere in 2099. And Miguel's outfit, his uniform, is actually a Day of the Dead costume that he wore in Mexico a handful of years back. The webbing on the back of it, the kind of weird half-cape thing, is actually torn parasail stuff that he stole and just attached it to the back so that he can actually glide through the air. And because he thought it looked cool. The next book that was released was Ravage 2099. Issue 1 was released in December of 1992. Written by the late Stan Lee and drawn by Paul Ryan. It ran for 33 issues. You know, the thing that first caught my eye before the X-Men stuff, uh, because I saw the ad for it in the back of Prime's copy of Spider-Man number one, and I thought, oh, that character looks cool, and it's Stan Lee. You know, and you're 10, 11 years old, you want to read Stan Lee's comic. Right. To be fair, I thought I was when I first got Spider-Man 2099. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, I I remember loving those first first few eight, eight or so issues. Ironically, the artist that took over the book towards, what is that, issue nine or 10, when he starts to turn into the the feral monster ravage yeah and i i forgive me if i'm mispronouncing the name here but it was grant mime i think mime or meme i'm not sure which way to pronounce it anyway the same artist that i discovered a few years earlier on um the legend of the shield from impact oh wow uh it was the same artist who then moved over and took over ravage somewhere around issue 10 or 12 somewhere in that vicinity yeah i think that's very interesting that you know, 2099 was such an impactful, <laughs> no pun intended, thing for so many of us. And yet at the same time, it has these deep connections to the Crusaders, which obviously got me into comics. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Sinking ship to a sinking ship. Great guy. Hey, you leave <laughs> Ravage alone. A little bit of background on Ravage. Depending on how you want to say it, sometimes it's Paul Philip. Sometimes you could say par- probably Paul Philippe. Since we're classy here, Paul Philippe Ravage was the CEO of ECO, a subsidiary of Alchemex that worked to combat polluters. Guess what? That was all just a cover. Captain Planet? Oh, oh you made my joke for me, you bastard. But of course, Ravage didn't know this. Paul Philippe uh, had some suspicions about the company, leading him to dig into the secrets of the company and the violent, uh, often fatal methods it used 
to uh, silence people. Because he was sticking his nose where he didn't belong, instead of being addicted to drugs like Alchemex usually does to people, uh, Ravaged was framed for murder and removed from the leadership of the company. Now a fugitive, Ravaged's only source of help lies in an orphan boy named Dak, son of a man his company killed, and an Asian-American woman named Tiana, who was originally his secretary. And, and yes, there was something going on there. Uh-oh. So Oliver and Felicity smoke. A, l- a little bit, yes. Uh, Ravage would find himself traveling from civilization to a place called Hell Rock, home of irradiated and mutated outcasts. Basically, oh. it was an island that companies would dump all of their waste on, and then they would also <laughs> dump all of the people they wanted to disappear. It's 2099 Australia. <laughs> oh, I was going to make a Manhattan joke, but all right, fair enough. Now, after prolonged exposure to the radiation of Hell Rock, Ravage soon developed the ability to constantly generate lethal radioactive energy from his hands, to which he would have to put on special radioactive canceling gloves so that he could, you know, actually pick up a, a drink or wipe his ass when he goes to the bathroom. Yeah, because oh, otherwise that would have been nasty. That would be bad. Yeah, leave Mr. Philippe alone, all right? Now, eventually, the radiation devolved his body to a primal beast form because science. Magic of comics. Yep. Allowing Ravage to operate in both human and beast form. Could he switch between the two? Uh, yes, okay. yes. He, he was actually, again, this was a theme with most of the books. So he cleared his name and was able to go back to the company and dig further as Paul Philippe. But then when he was out and about and wanted to hammer justice, he would beast out and become Ravage. It was their poor attempt, I think, at that point to have a Wolverine. Uh, in a sense, yes. I mean, well, because they ended up having a Hulk. Mm-hmm. So this this was really much more the... Not the giant behemoth that destroyed things like Hulk. This was the feral man animal. Yeah. Like yeah. Man. Eventually, the the whole switching back and forth stopped. He was just the beast, and then after a while, he just became a bigger and bigger beast. Hmm. This is the book that suffered from the most bipolarism, because after St- Stan had a vision, and this was the the man on the street. S- similar to a Punisher, but he wasn't he wasn't bloodthirsty like Punisher, but he was a brawler. And then he gets abilities, and then Stan leaves, and they're like, well, what are we going to do with this guy? And like Dr. Impact suggested, it was probably their attempt to try to create a Wolverine-esque type character. Well, let's, let's allow him to turn into a beast man. And then after a while, it's, I'm just always a beast man. Screw humanity. It's all about living in the wild. Absolutely crazy. If only Wolverine had some sort of power that allowed him to age slower so that they could have just put an older version of Wolverine into the future. You know what? What if? What if Wolverine had lived to see 2099? The next title released was Doom 2099, and issue one came out in January of 93. Now, this book was written by John Francis Moore and drawn by Pat Broderick. And then later on, writer Warren Ellis took over the title in its third year. Now, this is the second longest running book. It ran for 44 issues. 
And that early Pat Broderick stuff, I mean, he, you know, all of his stuff at DC in the late 80s and early 90s was amazing. But his, oh, yeah. his Punisher stuff was right up there with, uh, you know, with his Captain Adam, his, his Green Lantern, and all that stuff that he did over at DC. Yeah. Was, oh, God, those early dooms were amazing. In the year 2099, Doctor Doom abruptly materializes via an energy sphere in the ruins of Castle Doom in Latveria, with no memory of how he got there or why. Doom learns that Latveria is now in the hands of a cyborg tyrant called Tiger Wild. <laughs> Doom ain't gonna put up with that shit. Well, Doom confronts Wild, but is quickly defeated by Wild's superior technology. Mm. Doom's armor is depleted and falls off of him, revealing a young, unscarred face on Victor Von Doom. Tiger Wild declares that this is a fake Doom, and to make him more like the original, burns his handprint into Victor's face. Left for dead, Doom finds refuge with the last remnants of his gypsy tribe, the Zephyro. Using 2099 technology, Doom creates a new, far more advanced and powerful suit of armor, made from adamantium, capable of competing with Tiger Wild's futuristic technology. Doom becomes a freedom fighter, overthrowing Wild and regaining control of his homeland to once again become the monarch of Latveria. Doom then decides that the world has become chaotic and corrupt, and so to save it, he must conquer it. I mean, that makes perfect sense to Absolute me. perfect sense, yes. Yeah. Right. And this suit of armor... Wow. You've got the sheen, the shiny sheen of adamantium. He's got spikes, spikes on the on the shoulder pads, a, a deep blue cloak, red glowing eyes. This was the book that really delved into the technology side of 2099. They dealt a lot with cyberspace, which ironically enough for 1992, they predicted a lot of stuff that we take for granted right now. Mm -hmm. This was also, for me as a young teenager, this was the book that I found hardest to understand because of the concepts that they were doing. Now, now later on, you know, as an adult reading it again, I'm like, this makes perfect sense now. But as a kid, they were dealing with some heavy subject matters. It's interesting. Uh, I didn't put it together until you just mentioned that they were this was the tech-based book essentially mm, yeah and you know after saying that ravage was in a sense their attempt to do a 2099 wolverine it's almost like this was a sort of backdoor way of doing a 2099 iron man long before yeah. superior iron man where doom actually became an iron man. right yeah yeah but yeah I, I didn't even put that together until just now that this was kind of 2099's iron man in a sense. In a sense. In a sense. Well, I mean, you're able to do both. You're able to do the character of Iron Man with this new suit. And the cool thing about the, the, the book is Doom actually had, I want to say, three, if not maybe four different suits of armor within the run of his own book. Okay. So they kept it, they kept switching it up too. Mm -hmm. uh, issue 25, I remember specifically, it's a matte black suit of armor. Uh, black and silver with the with a, a red cloak, and I thought I was like, "Boy, I thought the silver one was cool. This one is tight." Mm -hmm. But Do yeah, you still say that anymore? Kids yeah, still yeah, say but, tight. I, I don't care if kids are saying that it's tight. <laughs> I'm I am going to say that I'm bringing it back. 
And then to round out the first four books that came out, you get Punisher 2099, which came out in February of 93. Now, the majority of the issues were written by Pat Mills and Tony Skinner with art by Tom Morgan. But then the rest of the book was written by Chuck Dixon, and, and the book ran for 34 issues. Now, in the future, the public eye is essentially your private security police force. It's kind of built into what you have to pay protection for. You know, instead of paying taxes to support the police, you actually have to pay protection money. And if your dues, if you're not paid up and you call 911, they ain't coming. Damn you, socialism. Public Eye officer Jake Gallows lost his mother, brother, and sister-in-law during an attack by the deranged Cron Stone and his gang. Now, Cron, son of a powerful businessman, Tyler Stone, you know, Spider-Man 2099's boss. They connect. Yes, it, because it's <laughs> it's a universe. Cron was charged with the murders, but was allowed to walk scot-free due to his family's status as a black card holder. Now, after recovering, Jake comes across the original Punisher's war journal, stolen from the archives of the public eye. You who find this, I charge you to carry on my work, was the final entry. Soon after, Gallows becomes the new Punisher. Jake tracks down Kron and challenges him. Kron gladly accepts, because he's a psycho, and he uses a device uh, very similar to like Kevlar body armor, only it has the ability to stop all high-powered speed projectiles. So he's essentially bulletproof. Mm. Thinking he had bested his adversary, Kron is stunned when Jake pulls out a gigantic knife. I was literally about to go, and I bet he stabs him. And slowly inserts it through the armor and into Kron's body, and then tosses the corpse into the sewers. Like That's where I toss my corpses. Yeah, right. where else are you going to? Well, of course. Unless you have a pig pen lying around, sewers. Right. Now, moving forward as the Punisher, Gallows watched over the portion of the population who couldn't afford to pay for the public eye protection, along with targeting those who used their money to get away with crimes. And when I say he became the Punisher, he had this old brownstone that in the basement he had a jail. He had his own private prison. And at the end of the hall, where all the, you know, you got all these cells, and at the end of the hall, he had a chair that was a molecular destabilizer, essentially a futuristic electric chair. And if he felt that if you weren't going to be re rehabilitated or didn't need to be rehabilitated, he tossed you into the chair. Neat. So he really was Judge Dredd. Yeah, essentially, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. This was, again, I said it earlier, the most brutal book out of all of them. And damn it if I didn't love it. <laughs> I That's loved fair. the brutality. I mean, I love modern-day Frank Castle Punisher, but there was just something more about it. Jake Gallows, especially that name. Well, yeah, mean, the Frank Gallows Castle's itself. cool, but it's Jake Gallows. So mm -hmm. comic booky, and I love it. Not quite Slam Bradley, but all right. It's not. But, you know, what can we do? Now, a book that came out along with this first wave was actually 2099 Unlimited. 
Uh, issue one was released in June of 1993, and it was essentially it was an anthology book running for 10 issues. It featured mostly Spider-Man 2099 and Doom 2099 side stories, as well as testing out new characters. Uh, Hulk 2099 debuted in the first issue. I have to say I disagree with Pistol and Dragonus because the thing that made me such a Hulk 2099 fan is the cover of that first issue of Unlimited where Hulk basically looks like this giant lizard green gorilla lizard Mm. and i'm like this is something i've never seen before i think if it wouldn't if he would have been called hulk i would have been cool with it but when you have an expectation in your mind of what someone looks like or you know should look like that you think especially since there wasn't a terrible amount of deviation from the way doom looked to the way spider-man looked i didn't want the hulk to look like a goomba you know what I mean? I didn't want like this weird lizard Hulk gorilla thing. I wanted like the Hulk. The way that they did it is is it was literally like it was a tyrant. It was it was a dinosaur mixed with a gorilla. Yeah, that's because not what I he had scales mm-hmm. in the back, surrounded by big tufts of hair, a giant tail. I, I liked that. I liked the fact that you could tell it's the Hulk because he's big and green, but he's not the same Hulk. I guess your mileage may vary. Hulk 2099 had a story in the first six issues of the book before he got a solo, his, his own solo book. But they also introduced a handful of other characters in Unlimited. Uh, they uh, Metal Scream 2099. Uh, he was the magic user. And he only had like re- three real appearances in the universe. Yeah, exactly. What was Not, his name? Sorry, Magic Scream? Metal Scream. Metal Scream. Yeah, that does... Doesn't really make any sense why he's called Metal Sounds Scream. Sounds like uh, something a metal band does. Created yeah. by Warren Ellis. So I'll give it a it makes, makes a little bit more sense. Uh-huh. A vampire character called Lachima 2099. Again, only had two appearances in the universe. Was it Morbius is what I what I referenced clearly because they've already done Spider-Man. So Morbius would have been... Would this be- is more actual vampire because the the character was transformed into a vampire by another vampire. Okay, so Dracula mm. style. Okay. Right. And then you had uh Galahad 2099, which was essentially their attempt to do a different version of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh it was basically a, a mech robot that was controlled by a scientist who had the disease to where he couldn't go out into the world, you know, the germs would get him, so he lived, he was a bubble boy. Yeah. Hmm. But he was a brilliant okay. roboticist. I mean, I'm kind of interested in this premise. Yeah, and and he actually had a couple of appearances. And then you actually, you actually get uh, another character called the Public Enemy, which was a genetically created bruiser who broke away from uh, the, his government handlers and actually interacted with Punisher 2099 for a while. Hmm. Were there any notable villains there are a lot of notable villains for the majority of the books. Spider-Man had a lot of cool villains. Probably the most disturbing of all was when they introduced Vulture 2099. Because Vulture 2099, he was he was kind of like this gang leader. He ran things with an iron fist. And, oh yeah, he was a cannibal. Uh, Punisher 2099 had a handful of memorable bad guys. Fear Master, the guy had this hand that, I mean, it was a it was a f***ed up hand. Okay. That if he touched somebody, 
he could transform them into anything he wanted. So imagine hmm. a hand that had a whole bunch of like weird tendrils on it. Right. You, t- you get touched by it and he turns you into crystal or so like sand. King Midas's touch? Midas meets alchemy. Like that? In a way. I mean, but okay, he yeah. controlled what he could do. I thought you meant like chicken. Well, maybe. I, I don't know if he ever thought about turning somebody into chicken. Well, that seems to be his problem, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> uh, but, but Punisher actually had a bad guy. Uh, uh, he was a big bruiser of a character. He thought he took care of him by, you know, chopping him up. But somebody put him back together with some all new parts and turned Frankie him into Castle? Jigsaw. 2099. Sweet. There were not a lot of 2099-esque bad guys. They didn't They didn't do that. And I kind of appreciated that. Later on, though, yes, indeed, mm-hmm. you ended up getting Venom 2099. And the interesting thing about that is it was actually the original symbiote hmm. who had been hibernating in the bowels of the sewers and merged... With an almost dead Kron stone. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Yep. Kudos, Marvel 2099. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great storytelling in these, especially this this first wave of books, and it only gets crazier. How so? A growing universe. Now, because of the success of the first five books, well, of course, you're going to keep pumping out more. Marvel then decides, well, what's our most popular book right now that we don't have a 2099 version of? (gasps) X-Men. We get X-Men 2099. Issue number one was released in October of 93, and the series was written entirely by John Francis Moore and penciled almost exclusively by Ron Lim. Every issue was beautiful. I remember the cover of the first issue was a beautiful blue foil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. yeah. The I'm going to go ran, to my basement and find that. Yeah. The book ran for 35 issues. Yeah. those uh, That early 90s Ron Lim stuff, Dragonus Prime and I, both artists, and we modeled a lot of stuff off of that Ron Lim stuff, especially during that X-Men run and and then I think later his Captain America run a few yeah. years after that that he did. Um, but yeah, God, Ron Lim, man, he top of the line. And one of the great things about that book was it was almost very reminiscent to the Claremont years. Because except for the first three or four issues, the team wasn't together all the time. It was kind of separate missions for this character and that character. And they didn't actually really get back together fully as a team until issue 25. For mutants, the future is a wasteland. After decades of struggling with humanity, the remaining mutant population is in hiding. But there is a dream. The dream of Charles Xavier. Not able to fade into extinction, but not willing to give up on hope. A small group of mutants have banded together to fight for not only their people's right to survive, but for all peoples to live in harmony, even if they have to bust a few skulls to do it. Desert Ghost, former outlaw and founder of the team. Cerebra, telepath and mutant tracker. Mean Streak, speedster extraordinaire. 
Crystalline, spinner of organic crystals. Metalhead, powerhouse metalmorph. Bloodhawk, aerial fighter transmorpher. And Skullfire, able to absorb and rechannel energy around him. Together, they are the X-Men 2099. Now, why did they call themselves the X-Men? I mean, obviously the original X-Men named themselves that after Charles Xavier. Mm. But what connection do they have to that name? The, the fact that they're mutants. Okay, it's so the, the, dream, well, the dream itself. The dream itself. Uh, you actually learned that there were Xavier's X-Men, mm-hmm. but then over the hundred years, there were two other groups led by totally separate people calling themselves X-Men trying to save the population because there was a war between humans and mutants and humans won and mutants were almost wiped out. So more of an homage to the original as well as the X gene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess none of this, um, none of this now connects to Hickman, does it? Now that Hickman has, (laughs) sorry, sorry. That's a podcast for another day. But who knows? Because again, right now we've got the new 2099 event happening at Marvel, and we'll see where the X-Men fall into that. This was, at the time, my favorite book out of all of them. I love Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and Punisher was a, a treat to read, but I love my mutants. I mean, I, I am Mr. X, and and this was the one that I had the most fun with. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, you know, as we talked about, like this is where I jumped on and a couple of others did. Honestly, I, like as a 10-year-old, a lot of the themes probably did go over my head, mm-hmm, and right. I, I honestly haven't gone back to reread it in a long time, mostly because I don't have it, and these aren't easily available. You really have to hunt now. Yeah. Once or upon have a time, well, once upon a time you could find these in a dollar bin. Oh yeah. And now it's it's almost like I feel the Ultimates universe has kind of replaced the dollar <laughs> bin. For yes. That. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Certainly. Yeah. Once upon a time you could find twenty ninety nine books and walk away spending twenty bucks and have a have a whole long box full. And now they're kind of hard to find. Yeah. Luckily enough, I'm glad that I bought them all so long ago. The only ones that I can think of that have been printed in like trades or maybe the Spider-Man stuff. Yeah, Spider-Man and X-Men say actually X-Men. had oh, okay. trades put out, but it's only literally for like the first story arcs. Of yeah, I think yeah. it's what like the first six issues of yeah. each book, and that was only ten years ago. I think when right. they did those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a feeling once the new Twenty Nine and hits, they're going to be. Kind I'm of hoping. Hopefully, stuff I really hope it out because. That stuff you know. is really good, and, yeah. and it should be shared with other people. After the X-Men, and, and this is kind of where I feel like you kind of shoehorn stuff in, there was a big event that happened in, in the 2099 books called Fall of the Hammer. Fall of the Hammer takes place in Spider-Man 2099, issue 16, Ravage 29, issue 15, X-Men 2099, issue 5, Doom 2099, number 14, and Punisher 2099, number 13. The Fall of the Hammer was a five-part storyline that brought the characters from all five of the ongoing titles together to face the threat of the Norse gods of 2099. Now, the plot for Fall of the Hammer, the higher-ups at Alchemex, fed up with the new age of heroes swaying public opinion away from the megacorps, devise a plan to make their own heroes by creating Asgardians for the year 2099. Now, operating out of a floating city called Valhalla, Thor, Loki, Heimdall, Boulder, and Hela strike back against the so-called false heroes 
to show that the corporations can be trusted and deserve the people's loyalty. But our heroes know the truth. These are not the Norse gods of old, and their flying city is a disaster waiting to happen, with the possible death toll reaching millions. This was the only, like, true crossover that ever happened in 2099. I kind of feel like the X-Men were shoehorned into it because it's, it's issue five of their book. They really weren't able to get on their feet before jumping in into this this big crossover. And it was confusing. Like, if you only picked one title up, exactly, you yeah. were lost. You had to be reading everything to understand the scope of what was going on because each book had a different element of what the big conspiracy was. All of these people, they weren't Norse gods. They were genetically modified by Alchemex. And their brain was rewritten to believe that they were these characters. Now, of course, some of these characters that were transformed had connections to our care, to our heroes. Mean Streak knew the scientist who had been turned into Loki. Mm-hmm. And he was a, such a brilliant scientist that he actually was able to undo the mental conditioning. So he knew who he was, and he just liked the fact that he had this ability. He was just an asshole. Right, close, right, exactly. Loki. The female who was transformed into Hela is Ravage's ex-secretary slash girlfriend. So we all know why Ravage was there as well. Doom shows up because, well, he wants this floating city. <laughs> That's such a Doom thing. Yeah. Like, what's going on? You... No, no, I'll take that. The funny thing is, though, is that is that the heroes discovered that the schematics for the city, the magnetic graviton engine that was allowing it to float over, sure. was going to deteriorate and it would literally crash into New York, killing almost everybody on the island. Hmm. So that was the whole point of everybody banding together. We got to stop the island from crashing. Well, of course, Doom succeeds. And, and he's like, all right, well, good job, team. I'm going to set the coordinates for this to just go off into the ocean and blow up. So they all leave. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to leave too, guys. I just want to, I'll be the last one here. Everybody escape while you can. Right, yeah. And, set this for and then takes it and, and uses that to help take over more of Europe. Something tells me you're trying to say that Doom is only in it for himself. Weird. He's doing it for all of us. <laughs> he has our best interests at heart. I mean, the gods of Wakanda agree. Who am I to question the Panthers? Ironically, actually, there is a story arc where Doom goes into Wakanda of 2099. Really? Yes. Hell yeah. Now, one book that I was floored with because, and I, I think it had to do with the art, Ghost Rider 2099. Issue one uh, was released in May of 94, and it was written by Lynn Kaminsky with art from Chris Bocello, Mark Buckingham, Ashley Wood, and Kyle Hotz. And it ran for 25 issues. Yeah. One, now I'm pissed I didn't read these. Yeah. One of my first exposures of Bocello. And of Ashley Wood. You know, it's it's funny. When that book first came out, I was very excited about Ghost Rider getting a 2099 book. I remember getting the first issue and opening it and thinking, what the hell is this crap art? What is this? <laughs> and I just, I it turned me off immediately. Then 
a few years later when Generation X came around. Uh And, you know, he was the artist on that. And I was just like, oh, my God. But by then, my tastes had changed. My view had matured a little bit (laughs) in comics. And I thought, oh, my God, this guy's art is amazing. It wasn't until about another five years after that that I went back and realized, oh, oh, shit, that was him, wasn't it? Yeah. There's actually a lot of great talent that got some of their starts here, both artistic and writers. Now, for Ghost Rider 2099, I, I think the the whole origin and his setting was one of the things that I really appreciated on top of how bizarre the art was. I really like the chainsaw arm. Oh, I, yeah, I love chainsaws. If I Honestly, if I had the extra so, disposable cash, that would have been the third book I picked up, but I wanted to keep collecting cards. In Transverse City, a megacity built around the superhighway between Chicago and Detroit, cyber hacker Kensho Zero Cochran was shot with a poisoned round during his attempt to steal information from the Demonics Corporation. As the poison coursed through his body, Zero downloaded his mind into cyberspace, blocking access to the knowledge he had stolen from his enemies. As Cochrane's mind wandered through the vastness of the internet, he was discovered by a collective of artificial intelligences dwelling in a hidden section of cyberspace known as the Ghostworks. Feeling his rebellious nature and need to defy authority made him the ideal candidate, the Ghostworks asked Zero to be their avatar in the real world. Zero accepted the opportunity to get payback on the ones who killed him, and his consciousness was downloaded into a robotic Cybertech 101 body. Because of the machine's similarity to the 20th century superhero, the robot became known by the public as the Ghost Rider. More of a cyber spirit of personal vengeance, the Ghost Rider proceeded to avenge his own death and fight against the plans of the evil Demonics Corporation. Not a ghost, not a spirit of vengeance, Somebody's consciousness downloaded into a war bot. And that's what it was called, a war bot. It had the ability to change size. One hand had the it was like liquid metal. So like T2. Yeah. It, it could turn into this giant like claw thing. The other hand had the ability to spout out a nanotech flaming chainsaw. I really feel this was a missed opportunity to do War Machine 2099. Hmm. Cool concept aside, I mean, comic book character-wise, you have him downloaded into the brain of this super robot with the chainsaw, blah, 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 blah. Right, 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 right. Good God, that would be torture on somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Never being able to feel or touch or taste again. That's a good point. That's a good point. That was something that was never really investigated in the book. I mean, though you have to look at it, it's either nothingness of death or you give up your senses. Right. Uh, some of your senses. Bury me then. <laughs> well, it had a holographic cloak. In a sewer, cloak. we will. Yes, we'll toss you into a sewer. It had a holographic cloak so he could also look like anything or anybody he wanted. So he was still able to walk around and look like himself if he wanted to. I think it's the detachedness of being in the suit, which actually, because he tried to reconnect with his friends, with his girlfriend and things like that, with his family. And he became more disenfranchised, and I think it really had to do with the fact that he was now this cold, robotic creature. Now, the last ongoing book that came out during the 
golden heyday of 2099 was Hulk. Hulk 2099 finally got his own solo series. The character was created by Gerard Jones and Dwayne Turner, hmm. and his first appearance was in 2099 Unlimited, number one, like I said. His origin and rise to infamy was covered in issue one through six of Unlimited, and then in December of 1994, his own book started, and that only lasted for ten issues. Thankfully. We're going to fight over uh, him and Ravage. No, no, actually, actually, here's the thing. I'm not going to fight you on this one because oh, okay. as soon as he got his solo book, yeah. the character kind of went downhill. The Hulk books took place in what was left of California. Uh, a giant earthquake had hit the coast and a very escape from L.A. style. California, mostly Hollywood and, and L.A., were now a series of islands. But the entertainment industry was still booming in the future entertainment is used as propaganda music television but most importantly film and there was no one better at being sleazy than lotus land production studio executive john eisenhart his current target the knights of banner migrant worshipers of the legendary hulk the Knights of Banner had been experimenting with gamma rays, hoping to create a new Hulk. And after the Knights refused to sell their story to John, Eisenhart reported them to the police. Now this led to a firefight between the police and the Knights, with most of the tribe slaughtered. Oh. Because the cops don't play around in 2099. Is this well, evil eye or look whatever? Look at Punisher. Uh, no, this is not the public eye. Public eye was mostly on the East Coast. New Alien Order, okay. Eisenhart, racked with guilt for the first time in ages, joined the knights in their fight, attempting to save a young boy he had befriended named Gawain. Now, the young knight tried to end the violence by setting off the gamma bomb, attempting to kill everybody. Uh, but that didn't happen. The blast transformed Eisenhart into a new Hulk, with both mammal and reptilian features and characteristics. Now, this new Hulk quickly... Ended the battle, but Gawain was captured during the commotion. With his newfound power, John secretly continued to work at Lotusland. Uh, again, a theme of, I'm going to keep working for the evil corporation in my human guys, but then be a hero out and about. Trying to take the company down from the inside while searching for Gawain and fighting injustice with brutal ruthlessness. Which is bullshit, because he's had a, like, a life of shit, and now he's like, oh... Now I'm a good guy because, like, 20 people got killed? Well, it wasn't 20 people. It was more like 50, 60 people. Whatever. He was responsible for that slaughter. So, so he called the cops on him, got them all killed, and then he's like, oh, I feel so bad now. I'll try and help Rick Jones 2099. Now I'm the Hulk and I'm a good well, guy. He, he finds Gowan during the, uh, the, the storyline in all the Unlimited issues. Yeah. But once he gets his own ongoing, the kid gets killed off. Hell yeah. It's really, the, the book, the solo book was, for me, the weakest out of everything that they, they churned out for 2099. They should have put him in the Pacific Northwest and done like a Bigfoot thing. That could have, that could oh, have been that could something. Have been really yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, that's a rundown of all of the main players during the first year and a half of Marvel 2099. But we want to know, who was your favorite character introduced in the 2099 comics? Head on over to our website and let us know. Metalhead. 
Metalhead, that's yours. Yeah, I, I legitimately liked him in the, the, the arc he went through where he was a gorgeous man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he turned into like what I uh, more equated to of the Hulk-like beast. I'm His saying. arc was essentially like learning to beast. accept. Yeah, learning to accept Hank McCoy. He was one thing, and then something happened to him to where he turned into something that he couldn't control. Mm-hmm. I loved Metalhead. Metalhead yeah. and Bloodhawk were my two favorite characters okay. from X Men Twenty Ninety Nine. But again, that's our favorite characters. We want to know who your favorite characters are. Head on over to our website and let us know. Space Age Roller Coaster Ride. Now, after the success, now uh, and of course, Spider-Man 2099 and X-Men 2099 were always the highest sellers. But the 2099 line was successful. And that's when they started bringing in new talent. One of those people who had been kind of like in the background, he had done a couple of stories for Unlimited, Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis suggests a storyline, and this is right when he's he's about to take over the Doom book. He suggests, why don't we actually let Doom win? Seems reasonable to me. Let Doom take over America. Well, and if you think about it, you know, it's technically a separate imprint it's separate you know it's, it's the separate future. from I mean, everything really else yeah. so you know you don't want necessarily doom at least in the 90s you don't want doom to win in your regular books but over here in 2099 kind of like how they did with ultimate you can what? kind of do whatever you want what could go wrong <laughs> yeah right at first nothing it, it was actually really good under doom's rule there was this great one shot that kind of sets things off it was called 2099 ad and the AD was added to all of the books after this one-shot. And the one-shot was actually drawn by Joe Quesada. Hmm. Or the, at least the, the cover. I, I can't remember the interior art. But the cover was done by a young Joe Quesada. And it was all about Doom getting ready to take over. It's just like, all right, we're, we're close. It's, it's going to happen. But I need to find this artifact that can bring the dead back to life. It, it can bring one dead person back to life. And it's it's held in the secret bunker somewhere in the, the the United States in the wasteland. He ends up making a deal with the Ghost Works to get Ghost Rider to go after it. Jake Gallows, the Punisher twenty ninety nine, finds out about this artifact and he goes after it because he's lost so many people. John Eisenhart finds out about this artifact. He decides to go after it so he could bring Gowan back. It was essentially a way to bring a lot of the characters back together for a crossover in one oversized issue mm-hmm. before you do your big event that would take place in the universe, but not necessarily happen in every single book. And it, it, it was it was fun. It was interesting. Kind of weird. But then... Doom takes over, and I mean, he takes over. Goes into the White House, assassinates the current president, because in in the future, the the president is more of a figurehead because yeah. the corporations run everything, mm-hmm. much like today. Uh, one of the cool things that he does is when he takes over, he outs Jake Gallows as the Punisher, oh. and then turns the public eye into Shield, huh. and makes Jake Gallows director of shield and also puts him on his cabinet as minister of punishment so seems like an upgrade we're reinforcing that jake gallows is judge dread yes (laughs) yes we're really hammering this home Uh, right 
I mean, even the shield uniforms had the red, white, and blue yeah. stuff and helmet. I mean, it, it was almost like we can't do Judge Dread, we'll but we're gonna get as close. We're gonna tiptoe as close to that line without getting sued. Ravage is all right though, right? No, Ravage by this point in time has taken over Hell Rock and is the king of the mutates. Doom, not wanting this blight on his planet, encases the entire island and everybody <laughs> on it in adamantium and shoots it into space. <laughs> what? God, I love Doom. Just when you think you can't love somebody, Doom just like ups it. He's like, you will love Doom more. That is how they got rid of Ravage and all of the mutoids and, 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 and stuff. <laughs> Covered in adamantium, shot into space. Yeah, man. Two yeah. thumbs up. Two, yes. Doom's like sewer? No. Yeah, because by this time, the Ravage <laughs> Sewers are so had, last had year. Turned into a, Sewers are so 2098. Are yeah. <laughs> but is Ghost Rider 2099 okay? Uh, he is. Uh, ironically enough, during the the takeover, when, when Doom was in charge, Doom continued that relationship with the Ghostworks to rewrite his programming because he offered Ghost Rider to be a marshal of Transverse City. Be the law? Screw you, Iron Pants. This is, the, and then Doom says a little code word, and he says, "You're not going to remember any of this, but I've made a deal with the Ghostworks, and you're going to do exactly what I say. In about thirty seconds, you're going to change your mind." And then it's like, "Be the law? Yeah, I'll be able to stick it to all the people that, are, yeah." So Ghost Rider becomes the Marshal of Transverse City, and now all the people hate him because he's the law now. Now, of course, after Doom falls. He realizes shit had been messed with in his head and rejects being having anything to do with it and goes back to the street-level ass-kicker that he is. So you get the One Nation Under Doom storyline, and everything does go well under Doom's rule until, of course, the Megacorps fight back. And a new character is introduced called Harad. And he's evidently the guy who, he's the puppet master behind everything. And he's the guy that says, all right, well, we got to get rid of Doom, and this is how we do it. And they actually fake the return of Steve Rogers. They, they play this story to where he had gotten frozen yet again. Even, even in the press conference, he kind of goes, well, I, I've, you know, I've got a little egg on my face. It seems that I had gotten myself frozen in ice again. Ha, ha, ha. Now, of course, this was a clone that they used to rally the American people around getting rid of Doom. So they take control of S.H.I.E.L.D. and there's a brand new one shot called 2099 A.D. Apocalypse. And this book kills off probably half of the characters that, are in, that have been introduced in the line. In Apocalypse, they hunt down and kill... Jake Gallows, they destroy Galahad 2099, they kill off Metal Scream 2099. No! Yeah, exactly. They, no. they obliterate Hulk 2099. With Apocalypse, it was kind of trying to set the stage to make things very grim and dark. Before Doom's reign ended, he actually created a utopia for mutants in the desert. He created a city called Halo City. This is for mutants. They have rule. They have sovereignty here. Nobody gets to mess with that. Space too. He made a mutant reservation? 
Let's not call it that. <laughs> but yes. But in a sense, wow. that's what it kind of was. Mm-hmm. And when Doom was ousted out of office, this was when he was at his most dangerous. Because now he had nothing but his wits to rely on. And it actually was a turning point for the whole line. Because then after that, well, we brought you all this darkness. Let's shed a little light. Mm. Then a new one shot came out called 2099 AD Genesis. Hmm. And this one kind of revolved around the city of Halo City. Uh, You know, they introduce a a new generation of mutant children who are essentially going to be Generation X 2099. Although they don't call them that, they call them X Nation 2099. Also, they introduce the concept of, hey... Guess who's trapped in the negative zone and is about to bust out? Shadow King. No. The Fantastic Four. And it's the actual Fantastic Four. It's Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben. Somehow, some way, during an adventure in the negative zone, something shifted to where when they came out, it was 2099. And they they are seeing the remnants of what Doom had done. They're like, holy, Doom was here and he was president? Now, sadly, this came at, well, basically the beginning of the end for the line. Because X Nation only lasted for six issues. Fantastic Four 2099 only lasted for eight issues. Huh. Even though Genesis was supposed to bring the ray of hope for 2099... It really didn't. The future ends. Now, around this time, it's it's like 94, 95, and Marvel is going through the bad years. You know, bankruptcy is looming. Leadership at the company was changing almost daily. And one of the things that they had to do was cutbacks. The new management decided, all right, so we're going to fire... Editor Joe Cavallari, you know, the guy who spearheaded this whole thing. And in protest, almost every single writer and artist working on the 2099 books at the time Mm -hmm. walked in protest. Nice. That's awesome. Good for them. Yes. Good for them. Way to to stick by your editor. As a matter of fact, the final two issues of Spider-Man 2099, issue 45 and 46, are the only two issues not written by Peter David. Hmm. And they brought in, I don't want to call them scabs, but they brought in scabs, scabs, fillers, Mm -hmm. to not only finish the line for the books, but then cancel everything. And and the sad thing is, is that I wonder, because there was a storyline of ruin, and I wonder if it was created to help end the line, or if they were actually going to do something with it besides what they did. The setup was, there's this planetoid by the moon. And nobody knows what it is. And then it turns out it's the Phalanx. Now, anybody who's a fan of 90s X-Men know that the Phalanx were a techno-organic race that came to Earth. Anything organic, it could absorb basically your version of the Borg for the X-Men universe. The only problem, they couldn't absorb mutants. So the mutants were the ones who were able to fight against the Phalanx. Well, here they are. They're back in the future. And it seemed like there was going to be another invasion, but instead, because there's this planetary of techno-organic material by the moon, the polar ice caps start to melt, 
and the world floods. And the end of all of the books are the remnants of what's left of humanity and our characters seeking the highest ground, the Savage Land. Hmm. I would have said Doom's Floating City, but all right, yeah. Oh, that got destroyed. Bastards! When when Doom was was taken out from his presidency, Hmm. that was destroyed as well. They'll rue this day. So all the books end, and they're combined into a new ongoing called 2099 World of Tomorrow. And it was a bi-monthly oversized book that followed the adventures of everybody that was left. And so you've got the majority of humanity and mutant kind and, and characters living in the Savage Land. But then there's also other areas of the Earth that are supporting life. Evidently, Latveria is on very high ground mm-hmm. because it's still around, being ruled over by Doom. And then you've got Water World-style pirates Floating around, man, hell yeah, man, causing <laughs> causing problems with overacting uh, bosses. Uh, yes, because you know what? You. Hey, don't you say a bad thing about Dennis Hopper? Be- <laughs> uh, because I would totally cast Dennis Hopper as Vulture twenty ninety nine because he was one of the pirates <laughs> floating around out there. Beautiful, yes, he would absolutely. be. He would be. He would have been great for that. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Now this book, they did some good stuff. And they were trying to continue the story, even though we were now very localized. You know, we're hanging around in the Savage Land, so Garrock comes back as a bad guy. Anybody that remembers classic X-Men and any of the early adventures in the Savage Land, Garrock was considered a god in the Savage Land. There was a lot of great nostalgia woven in. The Fantastic Four split up. Johnny, Sue, and Reed jumped back into the negative zone to try to find a way home while Ben piloted a group of heroes, mostly mutants, to Mars to try to start a new colony there. Because there was already a colony on Mars, and they wanted to see if it it would uh, support more people. Mm -hmm. So Ben is left in the future all alone and is unceremoniously killed because he disappears in the first issue. When they land on Mars, by the Martians, and you never see him again. If only there were a manhunter of Martians. They could be easily bought with Oreos. They can, but (laughs) wrong universe. World of Tomorrow only lasted eight issues. They did their best to resolve dangling plot threads to the best of their abilities. Not all that great. Uh, And about a year later, a one-shot called 2099 Manifest Destiny was released to put the cap, pun intended, on the whole mythos because the real Steve Rogers, who really did get refrozen again, shows up, joins with Miguel to try to shepherd humanity into the future. Miguel finds Mjolnir and becomes the new Thor. Dude, this is... And, uh, yeah, I know. And the book (laughs) ends in the year 3099. Okay. Because since he's Thor... He's still alive because mm-hmm. gods are immortal. And yeah, that was the book that I I searched for for about a decade because I was like, I have to know the ending. I have to know the <laughs> ending. I have to know. And ironically, I found it at Moe's in the dollar bin. And I, bought, I, I was like, holy crap. I bought it here. Thank you. There's my dollar. And I read it and I'm like, 
what the hell is this shit? <laughs> if I may, if I may, gentlemen, tight. Not uh, so much. No. That's my opinion on how it all ended, but I want to know, how did you feel about the way the 2099 line ended? Head on over to our social media accounts and fill us in on your thoughts and opinions. The new, new 2099s? It was popular. So therefore, since it was popular, you have to revisit it. Of course. And sometimes when you revisit something that was popular, it's good. And sometimes it's bad. The two most prominent 2099 characters that have shown up over the last 20 years has been Spider-Man 2099 and the X-Men 2099. Now, during Peter David's run on Captain Marvel, he actually returned to 2099, the character of Miguel O'Hara, and teamed him up with Captain Marvel on an adventure that also involved... The Maestro from Future Imperfect. Hmm. Which Captain Marvel? That was going to be my question. Uh, yeah. It's the it's the Captain Marvel, uh, Rick Jones, Captain Blue Marvel, blue skin, white, white hair. hair. Okay. Yeah, that that one. Early aughts. 2000s, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a return to that, and, and one would believe that that was actually Miguel O'Hare, but I have not been able to find those issues, so I have not been able to read the storyline, so I don't know if it's pulling Miguel out of... 2099 before the flood, after the flood, something like I, I don't know. Ignoring the flood? Yeah. Igno yeah, well, and most of the times, anytime we revisit 2099, we ignore the fact that the world flooded. In 2004, Marvel Knights 2099, written by Robert Kirkman, created a brand new continuity. Still, Marvel of the year 2099, but a different timeline. You had Daredevil 2099, who was actually... Samuel Fisk. Samuel Fisk. So it was Wilson Fisk's grandson. Mm -hmm. Was he blind? Like, I mean, what, what was his deal? Was he? Oh, God, it's been so long since I read him. I don't remember details of that. I mean, he wasn't blind or anything like that. Oh, okay. He just was agile and beat people up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. He was a dude without fear, man. <laughs> the Punisher of, of that future was actually the, the descendant of Frank Castle and Electra. Nice. It was a girl too, right? Yeah, it was. A, it, yeah, was it was a female girl, Punisher I think too. It was like her son, and she was trying something to like that. It was. It was like, really weird. Here's the legacy of the Punisher. Yeah, and it's gonna be taught to you. Here's how you use guns. And I think I, I, I'm not. Like, I got it. I'm not 100. percent I think those were actually put in a trade because they're all just one shots. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if I could track down that trade, I would definitely love to read them. In 2006, the alternate reality hopping team book, The Exiles which I was a huge fan of, traveled to yet another version of 2099 and recruited Spider-Man. This version took place when they visit. Doom hadn't taken over yet, so there, there was no fall of the hammer. There was no One Nation Under Doom. It was very early in the quote-unquote timeline, and they were chasing down a, a rogue Proteus who jumped into the body of John Eisenhart. So now he's Proteus in the body of Hulk 2099, feeling responsible because that's what a Spider-Man does. Miguel joins the Exiles. So this is yet another version of 2099 and was given its own designated Earth 
blah blah floop de doo. And I I didn't read those. I had quit reading Exiles by then. But how long did Spider Man twenty ninety nine last in Exiles? He was there know? for a while. Twenty issues. Yeah, yeah. I want to say at least twenty issues. So he stuck to... around. He stuck yeah, around, he stuck around for, for a very long time. Surprisingly. Yeah. Okay. Then Time Storm two thousand nine slash twenty ninety nine. That was an attempt by Marvel to refresh the concept by having the future reflect events that were going on in the current books, as well as changing a few characters around to keep things fresh. And I say it like that because in this story, Jake Gallows, his family is assassinated by by baddies wearing masks of classic heroes. So he gets the idea to travel back in time and kill those heroes. That'll fix it. Yeah. And in the future, in twenty in the future of twenty ninety nine, Miguel O'Hare is a teenager when he becomes Spider Man twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what, why are we taking a step back? One of the cool things about Miguel in the original stuff was he was a full grown adult. We didn't have to go through all the teen angst stuff. Uh, at the time, also, let us not forget there were no more mutants in Marvel. So when we visit the future. Wolverine is training a new generation of mutants, but through genetic manipulation, the only way that new mutants were able to be born, they're all female. So there's a female Bloodhawk, mm. a female Mean Streak. Yeah. Well, I got to say, that's that's better than clones right. birthed out of golden balls. Uh. But um, anyway, that's... <laughs> that's another podcast in that's our That's another archives. complaint yeah, that's right. later, yeah. Then the Hulks, there were there were multiple. I mean, they were like a tribe of Hulks that kind of just roamed the countryside destroying stuff. Red, green, gray. No, no, they were all oh. green. Oh. <laughs> it was almost like Old Man Logan, where there was a clan of Hulks, but they weren't all inbred. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were earlier, but now they're not. I tried to read that miniseries because it was a miniseries. It was like a two-issue miniseries and then a bunch of one-shots. And I got like maybe not even halfway through, and I'm like, what is this shit? <laughs> You're, you're taking what I loved, and you're just rubbing it along your greasy taint. Are you saying this is not tight? It, no. It, Time Storm was not tight. It sounds like what they tried to do when they redid that Age of Apocalypse around that when time. When we went back yeah. to the 10-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. 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 Even though it was Bacalo's art. Again, what was that like a six issue thing? That yeah, 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 it does feel. It was a six issue, and it also also tied in with Exiles. Yeah, because yeah, Exiles right. had a, a because remember Blink was yep. from the Age of Apocalypse right. universe. Yeah. Morph too. Yeah. Yep. No, no, the morph, the that the original morph, morph was not actually that morph from Age of Apocalypse. No, it, wasn't. it wasn't. He was from a from a different Age of Apocalypse. Like gentlemen, age gentlemen, I have a feeling this will be a future episode. Oh, yes. True. Good point. Yes. yes. Yeah. Actually, it will. Very astute pistol. Tight. <laughs> uh, now, during Dan Slott's run on Amazing Spider-Man, he introduced the 2099 concept again, trapping Miguel in present-day Marvel from a time period in 2099 where, yes, he was working at Alchemex, and yes, it was before the flood and the fall of everything, blah, blah, blah. But it was all revolving around the fact that he had introduced Tiberius Stone. Yeah who is evidently the grandfather of Tyler Stone. So Spider-Man 2099 was actually shot back in time by Tyler Stone and Alchemex 
to keep an eye on his ancestor so the timeline didn't change. Mm -hmm. I remember that story. And that was good he, stuff. It yeah. was. It, Dan Slott did a great job on it. He did, absolutely. That led to Miguel being a part of Spider-Verse. I always hated that costume, though. The well, new that, that costume. Came that was a little late. Later. Wait, which one? The white That yeah. was after yeah. Spider-Verse. That was when after Spider-Verse. he actually Spider -verse. had his own yeah. ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. I hated the fact that they changed. I was like, what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it's a great costume. Why are you, why are only, you shifting things? Not only that, why is someone who's using clothing and unstable molecules and something from 2099 suddenly going, oh, 2012 technology will be better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I do have to admit, the costume on its own as a design was really neat. Yeah, it was neat. And it was really cool if it was like one of Peter's alternate suits. Or even or one something. of Miguel's alternate suits. Or, or mm. give me Superior Spider-Man 2099. Or that. And I would have gone for that. Sure. But but the blue and red classic look, I said it before, if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. Now in 2015, the most current version of 2099 was involved in Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars. Uh. <sighs> yeah. This was a new take where you actually had a female Captain America who was brainwashed when she was her normal self. She didn't realize she was Captain America. But then there was a trigger word and she could cap da, 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 da. She Captain America up. They expanded things by actually creating the Defenders 2099. And it's the Hulk 2099. Uh, they introduce an, an Iron Man 2099. He's like just a robot, isn't he? Uh, yes, in a sense. I, I think. Well, I think he was. There was a, a man, but it was like maybe an android type of a thing. Maybe, uh, there was a Hawkeye 2099, but he was called Hawkeye because he was a bird man. Yeah, because he had a hawk's eye. Yeah, and and of course you get you get Spider Man 2099. You get Miguel, but he's actually kind of the bad guy of the story, which was really weird. But but let us try to forget secret wars we try we we do we try very hard and now the event we're getting two one shots 2099 alpha 2099 omega uh storyline running through amazing spider-man and then a shit ton of one shots spider-man 2099 fantastic four 2099 venom 2099 conan 2099 man hell yeah man <laughs> ghost, rider. ghost rider 2099 punisher 2099 just to let people know it is connected to the previous stuff we know of from miguel he makes mention of the girlfriend and the child that he had during his ongoing before going back into the future so, so this is miguel from dan slot's amazing oh. spider-man and Peter David's two volumes of Spider-Man 2099 hanging out in modern day. So not hammer-wielding Miguel. No, no, <laughs> no. So we're not getting a return to the 90s stuff in this event, but from what I've read and heard online, there's enough nods and connectivity to put a smile, supposedly, on any of the classic lovers' faces while still being something new and original. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm hoping that it does well enough to the to where in the future we can actually maybe return to the world of 2099 in a more ongoing way. I would even be fine with just a single book just called 2099. 
Yeah, just do twenty ninety nine World of Tomorrow. Just one book that just and and have oh. have us visit the, all the characters. Kind of like a Tales of Suspense, where it's two stories and each story is a different character. Yeah, yeah that would go. even be fine. Yeah. yeah, just you know, just something to take us back to that world. Well, I want to know what are your thoughts on the mini revisits and revamps to twenty ninety nine. There were a lot of them, and I'm sure I would love to talk to somebody who's actually read all of them because I have not, and I, I, I need to know, do I want to actually spend money on this stuff? And that's something that's very important to comic collectors. I think we could all agree on that. Should we spend the money on this? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my money? So please head on over to our website, fill out the web form, and let us know your thoughts on all the revamps and revisits to 2099. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We have covered, and it's. It, I know it seemed long, but it was just very briefly touching I was say, upon. It's really just kind of a glazing. Right? Yeah, on... really. A generalization of what 2099 was. And I want to announce here for all listening that I plan on actually constructing a podcast miniseries delving into... Storylines for characters, villains, the way the universe shaped out, all of it. You said it now. No take backsies. Uh, no take backsies. This is my promise to you. It, it will be writing. happening. Yeah, we have it in for, for audio writing. Audio writing. Just in the email. Show notes. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's almost as if the the podcast miniseries event thing was was a success. It, it was a success, Doctor Impact. And for any success, there has to be more of that. We're not just stopping with 2099. There will be more podcast miniseries in the future. But until next time, I am one of your hosts, Mr. X. I'm Smurfy. Dragon is Prime. Pistol Danger. And I'm Dr. Impact. And we'll see you next time, folks. That's our show, folks. Tell your friends and family about our program. What he means is you and everyone you know should subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on every app possible. Want to help support the show? Visit our Patreon page. We have a variety of incentives at multiple tiers, sure to satisfy any and all hardcore geeks. You can also follow us on social media where we post weekly comic pics, breaking news stories, and glimpses into our everyday geek lives. Until next time... Keep your turtle shells waxed. <laughs> your power rings charged. And your proton packs primed. Ooh, what's this do? No, Smurfy! Not the containment unit! www. I'm not doing the www. You have to do the www. Fine. HTTP colon forward slash page forward slash my big fat polis podcast. Right. Thank you for not helping at all. I literally just helped you. Why are you so salty today? See, I got in the middle. Mike, if you have a class on how to prolong a podcast, have pistol fill in. I haven't been that bad. All right. This is a bulky episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just a quick aside. You yell at me for saying WWW, but in a podcast exclusively about 2099, you make sure to say 2099 after everything. Yes, because it is a trademark. It, I feel
steal. It is and a copyright. It is unnecessary. It might be unnecessary, but I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to always say www. That's fine, and I will cut it out. J2 was there, the juggernaut No, the, he was not, <laughs> because that's only like 20 years in the future, not 100 years. I yeah. just have to disagree yeah. with you. Yeah, go back and reread your A-Next comics. A-Next 2099. Yeah, I'm no, aware. It's, it's it not 2099. Suck it, nerds. And podcast <laughs> over. Thanks, guys. Insert the tone. <laughs>